0: Okay, well, welcome to One Service Sunday. Good morning, good morning. Welcome to Seacoast. Welcome to Seacoast. Happy New Year! Merry Christmas. No, I know it's not Christmas, but Happy New Year! Maybe you missed it, but this is the beginning of a new year. It really is. I love the fall because the fall is the beginning of the new year in our culture. I like it better than the other new year in January. Because, you know, January is just kind of a flip of a date. That's all it is. I mean, you change a a number on your calendar, you change a number on your checks that you write, although we don't write checks anymore, but whatever data you enter, you change one number. But to be blunt, in our culture... Especially for families, this is the new year. It's the end of the summer. The summer is the end of the year when we get a rest and vacation and have a little fun and kind of catch our breath. and And then September hits, the kids go back to school, and the kids kind of are bummed, and the parents think, "Woo, yeah." Thank you, God, that summer is over, right? Yeah, thank you, Lord. I love these little creatures, but it's great to see them leave. Becky and I are beyond that stage of life. But yeah, yesterday we had, how many? Seven, right? Seven of our grandkids, all seven grandkids, around for not just one, but two days Friday and Saturday, in the pool. So if I am wrinkled, I am not getting old. It's the pool, okay? So we're in the pool. We're playing games. We're with seven grandkids. We love our grandkids, and we love our kids. But you know, last night, about 9.30 or so, they're getting in the car. We walk out to let them know we love them to the very end. And they get in the car, and as they're walking away, Becky and I put our arm around each other, and we go, We love you. We're so glad they're gone. (laughs) Yeah. Is this being recorded? (laughs) Take that part out. But if you're like me, you don't want it to be just another year. Another year for another year of school, knocking it out. We want it. And you've heard me teach this before in January. You don't really need another year. It's good that the old heart keeps pumping and it's alive, that's all you need to have another year. But we really want this year at Seacoast, this year of ministry that begins now to be a new year. And Ryan and I and I will be challenging you this week and next week uh, about the newness of this year. And as I thought about what to talk about today and prayed about that and looked at Scripture um, I thought about a lot of different things. I thought thought about the kind of our new vision, which has been tweaked, that Seacoast exists to build disciples. It's always been that, but we've added a phrase. Build disciples who demonstrate the transforming love of Jesus. Love on display. Love in action. Love lived out. Through you, in your everyday world. That is our goal. That is our dream for you. That's our dream for our church. We talk about love in as an expression of that locally. We talk about love Africa, and we keep this big map on the side wall to remind you of our investment in Africa. There's a lot of new things coming this fall as the new year begins. There's a new Rooted coming up. There's new life groups being launched. There's new training and discipleship coming. And there's a new series through the book of Ephesians, which I'm really jazzed and excited about as we are going to go deep into the book of Ephesians and talk about what it really means to be welcomed into a family called the family of God. What's what's that mean? How does that affect our everyday lives? How does that... Enrich, equip, and affect us for everyday living. Because you're connected now to a new family. But today I decided not to talk about any of that. Because when I look at the Word of God, one thing that God kind of kind of brought to the surface for me is if you're going to tackle new things... And you don't just want to be the same person, the same family, live the same life you lived last year. You want it to be a little more of what Jesus talked about when he said, I came that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. And I think, you know, so what takes life to a new level as you live a new year? And God kind of took my mind at least to Proverbs chapter 4. So open your Bibles. There's a handout Provided as always, it'll help you follow along if you want to take a few notes, or if not, you sit and listen and soak it in, but go to Proverbs 4, and this sets the theme for the morning. Proverbs chapter 4. Go to the middle of your Bible, hang a right, and you'll bump into it. To set the context, he begins in verse 20 by writing this to all of us. He says, my son, but he's talking about spiritual sons, so he's talking about sons, daughters, all of us. Give attention to my words, God says. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Underline that. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their body. Now that's that's a great promise. That the Word of God contains this life-giving thing that is life to all who find it and health to the whole body. Watch over, verse 23, Watch over your heart with diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Watch over your heart diligently. Don't just like like kind of a, kind of a uh, lackluster, half-hearted watching, but really guard your heart, as it's in one translation. Watch over your heart with diligence, because from the heart flow the springs of life. So if we want to talk about life this year, new life and a new year, if we want to talk about the abundant life that Christ wants us to have, if we want to talk about the life of our church, doesn't matter. Pick either one of those. Proverbs 4.23 says, life flows from the heart. What I want to teach you are two things. Number one is I want to remind you that this passage teaches us, number one, that life is always an inside-out experience. In other words, what I believe, what I hope for, what I love, the affections of my heart, what goes on inside of me will eventually control and shape who I become. That's why he says life is like a, like a spring. The heart is like the spring for the water. And whatever kind of water is in the spring is going to flow out and affect the life and shape the life. So if we want a different life, we need a different heart. Because life is an inside-out deal. The word heart is used 838 times in the Bible. I didn't count them this week, but that's the beauty of these word search tools. 838 times in the Bible, more than any other single term for what the real person is or who you are. You are who you are in your heart. It's used more than soul, more than spirit, to describe the real person or the inner person. So let me talk about this inside-out heart thing very quickly first. What is it, and why is it so important? First, what is it? For the Christian faith, the heart is the control center. It was central to the teaching of Jesus and the Old Testament. Jesus, for example, in Mark Mark 12, 20, Mark 12, 20 says, You shall therefore love the Lord your God with all your heart. In Proverbs three five it says, Trust or place faith in the Lord with all your heart. Dallas Willard, in his excellent classic book on the heart, called Renovation of the Heart. If you want to go deeper on this subject, that's one I'd recommend. Renovation of the Heart. Dallas Willard. He's a good SC guy, right? Any SC people in here? Yeah. Did they win yesterday? They played a girl school, right? Is that right? I'm just I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. My Mountaineers won, but they played a school for the blind. But here we go. But they won, okay, and they did well. It is college football season too. That's part of the fall, right? But I live Dallas Willard. He is a good USC alum. He's with the Lord now, actually. But he taught for many years at USC. And he writes this. The heart is used for the core of the person. It is the nexus or the place of coming together of the will the affect, or the emotion, and the intellect. In other words, what he's saying is, it is the real you. It is the control center. So in, when we talk about the heart, we're not really talking about the physical blood-pumping organ in your chest, but we're talking about this metaphor of the heart is used to describe the center, the control center of life. It's where your intellect, your emotions, and your decision-making will kind of come together, according to Willard, and I think he's right. Now, why is it so important? It's because of the verse I just read, and I'll show it to you. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. It's the place where life gets processed, decisions get made, from which all of life flows. It is that spiritual place. Here's another Willard quote. It's the spiritual place within us from which our outlook, our choices, and our actions come. So as we think about having a new year, God would say, if you want to have a better year this year as a church or as a family or as an individual follower of Jesus, it begins with having kind of taken a check on your heart and working on your heart. Now, I have a really good doctor who, knowing that my family history is full of early-in-life heart attacks, uh, began at age 50, even though I had no negative heart symptoms up till then. At age 50, he began to put me on a regimen of trying to more carefully guard my heart so I didn't get surprised like my grandfather did at age 57 with with a major heart attack that took his life while working, cutting some lumber. I didn't get surprised like my dad did at age 57 with his first heart attack. I didn't get surprised like several of my uncles early in life. So I've been trying to track my heart. And by the way, good news, I'm checking out pretty good so far. But part of that is they put me through an annual stress test. They do an EKG. They check me out. You know, usually every year I'll get one of these. Now, because they're looking to monitor the, uh, the condition and the health of my heart. Now, when they do the stress test thing, they, uh, you know, they don't put me in a room. You know, I kind of showed up the first time. I'm thinking I've never had one of these, so I'm I'm expecting like a lounge chair. I can kind of lounge. It's kind of like going to the spa with my wife, you know, which I never do. But if I had done that, it would have gone like this, you know. You know, you kind of go in and everything. First, you just it smells relaxing, right? They have all these essential or non-essential oils. I don't know if they're essential or non-essential. I don't know. Motor oil is essential oil to me. But, you know, but the reality is they have essential oils, they have the aromic stuff going, and they have the candles going, and there's this soft music playing, and and it's like I'm walking in, falling asleep, you know? And and so I'm expecting them to put me in a lounge chair and and wire me up and check my heart out as I listen to soft music. Is that how they do it? No. No. So they don't do lounge chairs, they do treadmills. Yeah. I'm thinking, "Oh, what's that thing for?" <laughs> these doctors that you know, these not the doctor, the doctor doesn't run the treadmill. Some lower paid a technician runs the treadmill and I believe to be a treadmill technician you have to be a bit of a sadist you love to put people through pain you know because you put them on the treadmill and, and I'm thinking oh this is pretty cool I can do this no problem check my heart you know and he says all right now we're going to speed it up a little bit Mr. Burke okay okay okay, okay. now we're going to elevate and I didn't know what do you mean elevate this is a treadmill you know, you know, you're the motor, you know, it kind of cranks it up. Now I'm walking uphill at a fast pace, and I'm going faster and faster. I'm saying, oh, okay, I'm doing all right, and am okay? And and he says, how how long do we do this? He says, we do this until we get your heart to 160 degree, 160% of normal. Now the good news, again, at the end of the day, was I checked out pretty clean. But you see, life is like that treadmill. And as you encounter real life, it tends to put your heart through a real heart test. When life is going smooth and easy and you're taking a nap and everything is on track and nothing is disappointing you and everything in life is just running like clockwork, you don't really know the condition of your heart. To know the condition of the heart, you have to learn how to test it. And you have to learn what to listen for. The other thing my doctor does is they place this nice cold little instrument called a stethoscope right over the heart and they're trained to listen intelligently. If I hear that, all I hear is, you know, boom, 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 You know, I don't know what that sounds. Is that a good boom, boom, or boom, boom, boom? I, I don't know what to listen for. She, my doctor, Dr. Maxson, I love this gal. She is trained to listen to my heart. And to listen for certain things that tell her the condition of the heart, that plus the stress of the stress test combined to give me a pretty good checkup. Life is an inside-out experience. It flows from the heart. So this year, my challenge first is that we all pay attention to our heart if we want to have a different life. Number two, second big idea is this. If that really is important and if life matters to you, How do we monitor the real important matters of the heart? Or to use my metaphor, how do we make sure that when we put the stethoscope to the heart or we read the, the EKG output of the stress test, how do we make sure that we are looking for the right indicators of a healthy, healthy heart? Spiritually, since it's the center of life. And as I look at the Word of God, I found it. It wasn't because I'm smart. It's because God just keeps repeating it until you finally get it. And it's repeated in every single letter to every single church that as the Apostle Paul writes, and he he kind of evaluates the church, or as he evaluates his disciples, he always comes back to three things. See if you can spot them. So if life matters, monitor the real matters of the heart. Listen to this. I'll give you one example only. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2. If you have your Bibles, flip to that one. 1 Thess, chapter 1, verse 2. Here's what it says. It says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind what? Three things. The work of your faith, your work of faith, your labor of love, and the steadfastness of your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of God the Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, His choice of you. Or if you want the shorter version, you go to 1 Corinthians chapter, 15, chapter 13, which is about love. Jesus said love is pretty important, right? And, and this is not just a poem for weddings. It's about life. And he says, 1 Corinthians thirteen thirteen. he ends the chapter by saying this, Now... At the end of the day, three things are important, or abide three things. Faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Three things. Say them with me. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. See, when I come to the condition of the heart, those are the indicators that I think God wants us to pay closest attention to. So let me give you a couple observations on the three so you can do a heart check as you move into the new year this fall. Number one, what, what is faith? Faith are the beliefs and convictions of the heart. It's the belief and convictions of the heart. It's what you trust in or rely upon. It's what you have a confident assurance of. It's your strong conviction or belief. Proverbs 3.5 says, Therefore, trust or put your faith in the Lord, not yourself, with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Don't think you're smarter than God trying to figure it out. The essence of faith is it's one of those interesting words that at times it's used as a noun that is what you believe, and at times it's used as a verb that is how strongly do you believe it. So it's important that faith speaks both into the content of our mind and our heart that we know what we believe and why. I love that song you just sang, that was good theology. That was good theology, put to music, we'll sing that again. Thank you, Paige. Because it reminds us of the core beliefs that we know to be true. But then the question is, do you really believe it? How strongly do you believe it? Do you believe it? Because if you believe it, it affects the heart in a way that the heart is the center of your decisions. It affects how I decide, what I do, And that's the real test of the heart. So if I were going to do a faith test on the heart, what is it that tests the strength of my faith? Here's my favorite faith test. It's this. When obedience is not easy, my actions reveal the true theology of my heart and the strength of my faith. It's like my illustration about the um, stress test. See, when, when God says, hey, Dale, do this. And I think, oh, that's easy. I'll do that. No problem then that doesn't really test the the depth of my faith or my convictions. But when God asks me to do something or to go a direction that's different from the culture, different from my friends, different from from my norm, different from the way I grew up, especially just different from what I want to do, then it puts my faith, instead of the microscope, under the stethoscope. So you begin to see, whoa, if, if my actions don't line up with what I say I believe, then... Maybe I don't really believe that. Maybe it's part of my theology on the surface, but it hasn't penetrated the heart. So this year, let's all strive to say, God, strengthen our faith. Help us as a church to do things that take us beyond what we're comfortable with. This very idea of being a disciple of Jesus that displays, not just believes in the love of Jesus. How many people vote against being loving? No one votes against that. But how many opportunities to love for Christ come through our lives every day that we pass on? Because other things are more important. So let's pray. God, give us the faith to follow you as a church family, to be whatever you call us to be. You call us to go to Africa. Great. Give us the faith to follow, to do, to obey, to follow your word, your will, wherever you lead us. Number two. You don't just need a strong faith, you need a focused hope. What is hope? Hope is the destiny and dreams of the heart. The destiny and dreams of the heart. What are you dreaming of? What are you anticipating? What are you looking forward to more than anything? Now, by the way, we will talk about how Jesus helps us have a strong hope for this life. I came that you might have life that's eternal And have it more abundantly. Because I I think following Jesus is the smartest and best way to live life. In every part of life. But I'm convicted by this statement in 1 Corinthians 15, 19. Just write the reference down. I'll read it. Because I'm hitting verses so quick that you probably can't keep up with me. But write the reference and look it up this week. 1 Corinthians 15, 19. Paul says, you know, if we have hoped, if we have only hoped in Christ in this life, we are, most, we are of all men most to be pitied. If we don't really understand that our hope goes beyond just what Jesus can do for me today to heaven, to eternity, to the resurrection, that not only Christ rose from the dead, but you will raise from the dead. You'll be raised from the dead also. And you can you're have eternal life with him and an eternal kingdom to be a part of. And, and, and when we believe those things, when our faith contains a clear definition of where our hope is placed, not in this life, but beyond this life, that it's fixed in heaven, focused on heaven, that its future delivery to us is guaranteed, it's paid in full by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We'll end there in just a minute. But because of what Jesus did, we believe and we place, therefore, our hope beyond this life. So therefore, the goal... Here's my summary of the goal. The goal is not to live in pursuit of dreams that are going to disappoint us. Those are the dreams that the world offers us. But to live focused on our future reality, on things that last for eternity and truly matter most in the here and now. That's my kind of summary of a great hope. And a hope clearly focused on Christ and clearly focused on eternity, it doesn't make you of no earthly good. It actually makes you of great earthly value because now you realize, now I'm going to live life this way in light of the fact that the real action is not here and now, it's in eternity that we're dealing with people that we know and love who have eternal souls as we love Encinitas, love Africa, get in a life group with other people They want to grow together in our faith or go through rooted together with other people. We're rubbing shoulders with eternal beings. Our culture is not going to tell you that. Our culture is going to tell you that when you die, you go back to the dust and that's it. So grab for all the gusto you can get and just live for today and have fun see, what a, what a disappointing dream, what a disappointing hope to live for. It's not just a better life now, it's, it's a better eternity changed and other people around us being shaped for all of eternity because we have a hope that is not just in this world. So how do we test our hope? Here's my quick test. Quick test for hope would be this. My heart of hope is best, best tested by examining the investments of my life especially what requires my sacrifice so wherever i'm investing my time investing my money investing my energy and my affections and my care those are the things that tell me where my what where, where my hope is placed if your hope is placed in your career if your hope is placed in your you know in your retirement fund if your hope is placed in your home or your car your hope is placed in even your family you know those are all things that will someday end if your hope is placed in christ and in the people that christ brings into your life and impacting eternity and you see that tells me whether my hope is really placed where it needs to be so the good heart test for the hope is this Here's my heart test. I jumped ahead of myself. It's best tested by examining the investments of my life, especially when they require sacrifice. See, that's the key. Am I willing to pay a sacrifice? Sacrifice my time, sacrifice my money, sacrifice my my energy as I invest in ministry, as I get involved in serving, as I join one of our ministry teams as I get involved in helping support one of the Empower a Hero people in Africa. You'll hear more about that in coming weeks. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that I decide how am I spending my life. And my admonition is this, quit spending your life on things that are temporary because when you do, it's like buying perishable goods. They're fun for a while and then they're gone. Instead, invest your life instead of spending. it. The life invested is always worth more than the life that is merely spent. Invest in eternal things. What are eternal things? God and people. I can't find anything else. Last but not least, how do I do a love check? Well, love is the affections and desires of the heart. We've already looked at this in 1 Corinthians 13:13, 13, 13, where it says the greatest of these is love. Jesus says, above all else, the greatest commandment, Matthew 22:37, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Loving God, loving people. So how do I test how my heart of love is doing? Here's my favorite heart test is this. The heart of love is best tested, again, under pressure, under the treadmill of life, and the pressure of priorities examining the tougher choices in life. Now, the reason I say this like this is this. When I think, okay, how much do I love God versus love my family versus love my job versus love my uh, hobbies or my sports or anything else? How much do I love them? That doesn't really get tested until I have to make a choice. And every once in a while, here's how life goes. When life says, guess what, Dale? You don't have the time, money, or energy to, to do it all. You can't have it all. You must choose one. See, when life says that, bring that up on the screen here. When life says you can't have it all, Dale, but you've got to make a choice this time. I mean, the reality of life is forcing me to choose. Do I invest in people and do I invest in eternal things? Do I invest in the things of Jesus Christ? Or do I invest in just the things that make me feel good and go away? See, that's kind of where what do I love the most gets tested. See see how that works? So look at our choices. So this year as you go into that, wow, that's a lot to work on. I mean, work on trying to listen to the heart. How strong is your faith? How focused is your hope? And how on target is your love? So let me give you an easy concluding point. If you want to strengthen your faith, hope, and love, there's one thing you can do. And that's focus more on Jesus. Focus more on the cross. Focus more on the christ who died and rose again for you because he is the center of all faith hope and love it's the one thing i could come up with that said wow if you want to really strengthen faith hope and love uh, you do it because when you really when you really open the word of god and you pay attention to the fact that wow jesus loved me so much that he died and rose again and he's alive and, and, and he provided for all of my sin, and he died for all of my sin, and he loves me just the way I am, and he accepts me by his grace, and I don't have to earn it. It's a free gift, and the more I study Jesus, the more I strengthen my faith, the more I Focus on Jesus ascended to heaven waiting with an eternal home for me in heaven. And he says, don't be dumb, Dale. This is a paraphrase, but that's what he says. He actually says, don't be a fool, Dale, and lay up your treasure on earth. Lay up treasure in heaven. Invest in eternal things. Then I focus my hope. So he strengthens my faith. He focuses my hope. And then most of all, he stimulates my love because nobody else loves me like he did. Not even... My wife. She's pretty close to loving me like Jesus. But every once in a while, I do just enough to really tick her off, and woo, it's, you know, okay. But, you know, but that's my fault. That's my deal, right? But the point is, unconditional love, she said, Amen? Amen, yeah. Okay. Unconditional love is something that you never experience perfectly, even from parents. Only Jesus Christ says, you can't do anything to cause me not to love you. And I'll die on the cross for your sins. I'll die for you while you're messy. So I don't just love you when you get cleaned up and fixed up. I'll love you through the messiness of life, and I'll love you forever, and I'll create an eternal home for you. Wow. See, the love of Christ stimulates my love for him and for people, including my dear wife. So as we move into a time of newness this fall, it's a new year. Let me try it again. Happy New Year! Now you get it. What's most important as you go into a new year? New heart. Stronger faith focused, more focused hope, and a deeper love. And you never get perfect, by the way, right? So that's why grace is so important. God loves you while you're working on it. But let's make that our focus as a church, amen? Amen. Father God, as we move now into the rest of our worship time, because Lord, this service is not going to end in this room. The service is going to flow in a few more minutes out of this room, around uh, some water out in the plaza. And it will conclude out there with a joyful reminder of why we exist as a church to demonstrate the transforming love of Jesus and in doing so the gospel and in doing so to see people experience new life in Christ. So we worship you now in response To your great love. We worship you because you are our hope. We worship you because you are the basis of our faith. In Christ's name. Amen.